Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. This series is brought to you by Chagask in collaboration with Dairy Sustainability Ireland and the National Rural Network and Food Drink Ireland Skillnet. So today we're going to be talking about the carbon footprint of dairy farms along the Atlantic coast of Europe and the Dairy for Future project aims to increase the competitiveness, sustainability and resilience of dairy farms in the Atlantic area. And I'm delighted to be joined by Marion Sorley, who is a research technician with Chagask, uh, who was uh, involved with this project. The project is coming near its end. And uh, later on, we'll be joined by Dr. James Humphreys, who's principal research officer with Chagask in Moore Park, who'll be ha- helping us out with the questions. Uh, good morning, Marion. Hi. Hi, Mark. Hi, Pat. Hi. And good morning to Pat. How are you doing, Pat? Great. You're going to have us with questions later on. So, um, Marion, you're very welcome. Um, this, I believe, me. is your first time to the Signpost uh, webinar. It um, is, it is. Tell us a little bit about. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing uh, down in, um, in with Chagask in uh, Solihead-based research? I imagine. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so, yeah, at the moment I'm working on the low camp project um, that's based on in Solihead and it's looking to reduce carbon and ammonia emissions. Um, but today's talk, however, will be on the Dairy for the Future project. And um, as I'll explain in the talk, we'll be looking at um, a number of different countries and regions along the Atlantic um, area in Europe and looking at um, a, a big data set of dairy farms from those regions and their um, carbon footprints. No, it's 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 great to have you uh, on the on the the webinar this morning, Marion, and and to talk to us about those regional differences uh, around carbon footprints along the Atlantic coast. So, so Marion, I'm going to hand over to you, and uh, we will talk to you after your presentation. Great, thanks, Mark. Today, I'll be start. I'll be talking to you about the carbon footprints of dairy farms along the Atlantic coast of Europe. Now, the Atlantic area, you'll see they're highlighted in blue, um, stretches all the way from Scotland in the north down to Portugal in the south and the Azores Islands. Um, What's unique about the Atlantic area is that uh, it has a high rainfall suitable for agriculture um, with varying degrees of evapotranspiration. And with this, we get a a mix of systems Um, down in the south, in in Portugal and Spain, you tend to see more confinement house systems. And as we go up north, um, we see more mixed or um, pasture-based systems. Um, Now these these countries in the Atlantic um, area, the countries themselves produce about 36% of Europe's milk production. Um, so they're quite quite important to, to for milk production, um, but you'll notice that Ireland is the only country that's um, included as a whole country in the Atlantic area. Um, but like in France, for example, the um, Brittany, uh, Pays de Loire, and Normandy um, actually produce about fifty five percent of of France's uh, milk production. And in Spain, Galicia produces 39% um, of Spain's milk production. So so very important regions. Um, And we have recruited 
hundred of just over a hundred uh, commercial uh, pilot dairy farms across these regions. Um, and with that, I'd, I'd like to say a huge thank you to the Dairy for the Future farmers um, who opened up their farms to us and um, generously gave up their time um, to fill out those monthly recording sheets and um, gave us very detailed information about their farms. So a huge thank you to them. Um, so we also um, had 10 experimental dairy farms, one of them being Solahead Research Dairy Farm in County Tipperary. Um, James Humphreys leads the Irish component of um, the study and um, also leads the work package on uh, environmental assessment. Um, and the project itself is coordinated by Andre Legal um, from the French Livestock Institute. And we have, you'll see here, we have partners from all of the different regions, um, Idel, Shruk, Caffrey, AHDB, um, Nika, two universities from Portugal. Um, so there's, there's a lot of work gone into this and a, a lot of different expertise there. And, the, and it's funded by the Interreg Atlantic Area Program. Here I'm, I'm showing you the, the per capita greenhouse gas emissions in these countries we're looking at in the Atlantic area. And you can see here, Ireland sticks out quite a bit with the highest emissions per capita here. Um, and a big proportion of them coming from agriculture, 34%. Um, this is for the year 2019. Um, it's, it's more than three times the average, 11% um, for the EU and 27 in UK. Um, so what are we doing to tackle these emissions? Um, these are the, the policies for the for the um, for uh, reducing our greenhouse gas emissions from these countries. Um, our target reduction in Ireland is 22 to 30 percent, one of the more ambitious targets. Um, followed then on by the UK and Spain and France on 18 and uh, Portugal on 11. But our baseline year then for Ireland is 2018. And what's noticeable about 2018, it was quite a, a dry year. We, we had an increase in dairy cow numbers, increase in fertilizer, nitrogen use, um, their peak in emissions. Um, we, we have varying baseline years then, as you can see down the table for the, the, the other regions, earlier baseline years. Um, targeted measures then, we see a common theme of um, fertilizer nitrogen, manure management. Now that's really about reducing our fertilizer nitrogen use, um, reducing the amount um, moving to towards um, use of legumes such as white clover to biologically fix nitrogen. Um, you know, making more use of our of our slurry um, in our manure management. You know, we're talking about low emission slurry spreading, um, covering our slurry storage. Um, and in Spain, for example, it's, it's, it's um, looking at that slurry storage, but also um, solid liquid separation for you know, more practical application. Um, and then we have other strategies like improving our genetic merit comment to Ireland and Portugal. It's about increasing the longevity of our cows, our milk production, how productive they are, um, and then other measures then like agroforestry, bioenergy. So what are our aims and objectives? Um, 
It, it's, so it's a study of carbon footprints of milk from these dairy farms. And the aim is to lower the greenhouse gas emissions um, from these commercial dairy farms. And to do that, we needed a diverse range of practices and systems and <clears throat> to best identify to, to identify the best practices to do that. Um, so, and, and we know we needed to identify specific solutions for the different um, farming systems, whether you know they're pasture-based or indoors, which I'll um, expand on later on as well. Um, but we, we also looked at the um, economic and social implications, um, which are quite important as well. But today I'll just be talking about um, the carbon footprints. So how do we calculate a carbon footprint? Well, we we know that emission we, we know that different activities on farms um, uh, create emissions such as spreading fertilizer, um, st storing manure, um, cows um, defecating at pasture, um, and we, we, we total up all these emissions for a farm and then we can express them um, per kilo of milk or per hectare of land. These are different metrics we use. Um, and what I mean by per kilo of milk, it's uh, the unit we use is fat and protein corrected milk. So it's, it's a, a unit standardized um, to 4% fat and 3.3% protein. And the tool we use is life cycle assessment. And it accounts not only for the, um, the on-farm emissions, but also the um, off-farm emissions from our, from our inputs, such as fertilizer, um, uh, you know, fuel and, and concentrate coming in onto the farm. So it really takes into account all the emissions associated with the production of milk um, up to the farm gate boundary. Now we used, um, we used the, the, an adapted version of the Moorpark model um, designed by Donald O'Brien. And we had to adapt it to um, account for the different conditions in these um, different regions. So, so these are the, the different regions we're gonna be looking at. Um, Ireland, Northern Ireland, um, Great Britain, France, Galicia, and Basque Country in Spain and Portugal. Now, <clears throat> we have about 10 farms for each region, give or take. Um, we have 20 farms from Portugal. And we, we, needed, we know we, knew, we needed to select more progressive farms. Um, the data collection was really quite intensive and we needed to ensure that we, we, could, we could get the data from these farms. Um, and we needed a diversity of systems. Um, a wide range of practices. So they're not necessarily representative for each of these regions. These then is um, a table of some characteristics from these different um, regions, their mean averages um, from, for the farms for these regions. So if we look at stocking rate, first we, we hang around about 2.3, 2.2 livestock units per hectare. Um, France there is, is um, is the lowest at 1.51. There are three farms, three organic farms um, in the in the France sample, which which bring it down. Um, in Portugal, then we have very high stocking rate of 7.84. Um, the Portuguese farms are all um, confinement systems, so, so it's it's quite an intensive system where um, a lot of the feed is brought in and 
manure is um, exported. Um, and then if we look at the milk uh, solids production, um, generally higher with, with the um, indoor systems. And we can already see here a trend with the age of first calving and um, the young stock and replacement rate percentages. Generally, when we increase our milk yields per cow, we tend to have um, higher age of first calving and uh, you know greater replacement rates. And it's interesting to see that if you look at the differences between young stock and replacement rates, that it's generally about, it's, it's 3% right across the board. Um, so we know, we know that there is a um, room for improvement here. Then the next table then, um, we still got stocking rate there, we've got grazing time. So it's in percentage, it's the, the percentage of time that cows um, spend out grazing in the year. And it also takes into account the proportion of, of cows out grazing. So it's, it's accounting for our calving patterns as well. Um, Basque country there, you see it's around 5% grazing. Um, that's not because the, the average is across the farms is 5% grazing. It's, um, we have a mixed system in that sample, um, but they're mostly um, house systems. Um, and then we look, if we look at the, the grazing time to concentrate, we know that generally um, if you're increasing your grazing, it's, we're showing a, a decrease in um, concentrate being bought in. We see that here on our, our next graph um, with a decrease in grazing showing increase in concentrate use and milk yield, um, which we'll expand on later on our carbon footprints. But, um, we see in, in the Basque country, there's, there's over three and a half um, ton of, of concentrate bought in per livestock unit, um, you know, um, over like four ton of um, concentrate and forages in the Portugal. So these are our confinement systems. And then if we look at um, fertilizer and nitrogen, um, highest is Ireland. Um, we've, it's really reflective of our grazing time, shows, um, I guess, our reliance on fertilizer nitrogen and something that will, will show up too in, in, the, in the carbon footprints, which I'll show next. So these are our carbon footprints um, for the different regions um, expressed in kilos of CO2 equivalents per kilo of fat and protein correct in milk. <clears throat> and it's not, we're not looking, um, we're seeing really the a reflection of the systems used in each of these different regions. You know, Ireland with our, um, a big proportion, 17% of our emissions coming from fertilizer compared to the confinement systems um, in Spain and Portugal, um, relying on concentrate and um, obviously a lot of manure storage with those confinement systems. Now here, I just wanted to show you this. These are all the farms um, that we're looking at today. And we have Ireland, Northern Ireland, um, Great Britain and France in shades of green and blue, and then Spain and Portugal in shades of orange and red. And what you see here is that there's, there's you know, there's, there's no one country that's particularly low. You know, there's, there's a good, um, the variation in carbon footprints. Um, 
you see even even the lowest four there they're all different regions um and we'll we'll have a look at this later on again but um you see there's there's a big variation range in the carbon footprints um you know at about 0.9 to 2.5 so i just wanted to explain the the the, the three categories as well for our farm systems um <clears throat> grazing um is uh, that this category is defined by more than 60% grazing throughout the year um so you know 60% of the time the cows out are out and Again, that's taking into account the proportion of, of cows as well that are out. Um, the house system, then it's they're they're indoors all, all, all year around. <laughs> um, and we see that reflected in our grazing times. These are the mean um, grazing times, oops, in the um, in the um, in the different systems. So 68% for the on average for the grazing system, 42 for the mixed, and of course zero for the housed. Um, and we have a good um, distribution. We about half and half grazing mixed, and um, the other half housed. Um, so it's it's you see you know remember this graph. It's it's similar graph but color coded to the different systems, and we see that okay. Generally, the green um, tends to be on the further down on the left-hand side, but we do have a, quite a variation. Um, if you look at this farm here, it's the blue E3 um, has, um, you know, it's, it's way on the right, and that's that's actually an organic farm, um, so relatively low milk production, um, driving up their carbon footprint per kilo of milk. Um, but otherwise, you'll see also like. The three lowest farms there it's a grazing and mixed in a house system so you know it's it's hard to say that one is better than the other um these are the the average carbon footprints then with the um different activities highlighted from uh, where the emissions are coming from so in the blue we have you know enteric ferment fermentation, um, sorry, methane emissions from enteric fermentation, and generally um, more house systems, um, the enteric methane goes down, um, greater manure emissions then with house systems, um, same with concentrate, um, and greater fertilizer nitrogen emissions with, with the grazing systems. So I'll go on then to explain each of these categories. And first of all, we, we're looking at the um, methane emissions from enteric fermentation. And although the house systems have a higher replacement rate, um, a higher age of first calving, so they're having to carry more young stock, young stock to support their dairy herd. Um, they are producing a lot more solids per cow and they're feeding a lot more concentrate and what we see with increased feeding of concentrate is actually less methane emissions per kilogram of dry matter intake. So that can make a, a difference. And um, the thing is, we we can model that um, model that that difference. So next, then we're looking at um, manure um, emissions, or emissions from manure system management. Um, <clears throat> And 
obviously the, the house systems here have have a big proportion of their emissions coming from manure management and really they're, they're spending the cows are spending a longer amount of time um, depositing manure into into storage so that's really where we see the emissions coming from it's about the longevity uh, sorry the about the length of time of housing um, but also we've seen here it's about the type the type of storage as well so um, the farm on the right has uncovered manure storage compared to the farm on the left, which is um, has covered manure storage. And we can see what a difference that makes. These farms are similar in milk production, similar um, outputs. So the farm on the, the left has actually halved their emissions by, by ensuring that their, their, their slurry storage is covered. Um, and you can imagine this is particularly important in um, warmer regions. Um, so next we're looking at concentrate emissions. Um, again, particularly important for the, for the house systems that rely on a lot of concentrate feeding. <clears throat> and <clears throat> the averages for across the, the systems then, um, we're feeding almost three tons of uh, livestock, three tons of concentrate per livestock unit um, in the house systems um, compared then to the grazing at 837 um, kilos per livestock unit. Um, but we found that it's, it's not only the amount, but the type as well. And if we look here at these two farms, um, one is feeding more of a greater amount of concentrate, 5.4 ton, compared to the, the farm on the right, which is feeding 3.8 ton. Now, he's, they're feeding less, but their emissions are greater. And it's because the amount of soya um, in the diet, um, we know that soya has a quite a high carbon footprint because of the deforestation that it goes to for to grow soya um, in, in South America, in Brazil. Um, <clears throat> compared then to the farm on the left, which is using um, more locally produced concentrates um, with a low um, crude protein. So that's, that's very important as well. Um, and then next we're looking at um, emissions from fertilizer. particularly important for our grazing systems. We're quite reliant on fertilizer nitrogen, um, our average there of 247 kilos of nitrogen per hectare, um, quite high. Um, <clears throat> and really, I guess, grazing systems obviously rely on grass as the main fodder. So grass is quite, um, it's, it's, it's nitrogen loving kind of plant compared to the mixed and house systems where their their feed can mostly consist of maize, um, which which is not as in reliant. Um, but but grass is important, obviously in Ireland. It's a cheap feed, but we need to work on reducing um, our reliance, um, and we'll talk about that later on. But um, if we come to our summary, then. Um, so we have ambitious targets, reduction targets set for agriculture. Um, we were seeing that like in our emissions per capita, we have one of the highest and 
um, a big proportion of that coming from agriculture. We need to at least cut that by 22%. Um, and what's promising is that we, in the study, we've got a big range of carbon footprints from 0.9 to, to 2.5 kilograms of CO2 per kilo of milk. Um, even even within the the Irish data set, there's there's a range of, you know, 1.4 to to one um, uh, of a carbon footprint. So there's considerable potential for lowering our emissions. Um, in Ireland, we've we've seen we've got a heavy reliance on fertilizer nitrogen use. So we know we need to actually cut our our um, use of fertilizer. Um, we can use more um, clover in our swords using that biologically fixed nitrogen to grow our grass. Instead, um, research shows in solid that we can do that with the use of white clover and red clover um, and even cut out nitrogen completely. Um, <clears throat> when we're using nitrogen then to use more protected urea, we know um, protected urea cuts out um, greenhouse gas emissions and um, ammonia emissions. Um, manure management then um, using the low emission slurry spreading to, to make use of our, um, our, of our slurry um, also um, reduces ammonia emissions. Um, as we saw also, um, it's, it's a type of storage um, as well. Um, concentrate use then, um, you know, it's 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 about them. Also, the, the type um, is something to be aware of, and especially in those house systems. Um, and enteric fermentation. Then we're trying to um, improve the uh, improve the quality of our feed to um, get more more milk for dry matter per kilo of dry matter intake. We're trying to improve our EBI as well um, to make to to produce more efficient cows. Um, and we've seen there that um, pasture-based systems tend to have lower carbon footprints, um, like the, the systems that we see in Ireland. So there's, there's a whole lot of different aspects to this study. And I guess this was uh, a snippet of that. And um, we, we've also looked at the carbon footprints um, using other metrics, such as per hectare of land. Um, we're also looking at other impact categories such as um, acidification, eutrophication, um, fossil fuel, and global land use. Um, we're also looking at human um, edible feed conversion efficiency. So, you know, how much of our cow, how much of the cow's diet that we're feeding is actually human edible, um, and compared to the the product that we get at the end, in in this case, milk. Um, and we're also looking at the um, economic and, and social impacts. So I'd, I'd like to end on acknowledging all the people involved in this project. It's, it's a huge project. Um, James Humphreys um, leads the, the environmental assessment work package, but we, also, we have partners there um, from France, Spain, Portugal, England, um, Scotland um, the, and the collectors as well. Without them, we wouldn't be able to get this data together. So big shout out to them. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Marion. Um, 
really enjoyed that presentation. I, I know you had lots of graphs, but you, you know, you, you explained them so well. Those bar charts, I, I think, really tell a story about that that profile of of emissions. Um, and and one thing I just picked up on, you know, you showed a slide there about the different uh, the concentrate, uh, the the difference between the different types of con- concentrates, the locally fed versus the the soya. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, is that being taken into account in general uh, when when we're do, doing life cycle analysis uh, on on farms, or is it, is it specific to this project? Because I, it just seems to me that. There, that that could have huge implications for where people source uh, their their concentrate from. Yeah, yeah. Um, in some studies, yes, they 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 don't actually include um, land use change emissions um, in their in their assessments. But um, I think more and more we we are including them. And yeah, you're right. There is an important um, message to be to be had from that. Um, yeah, as you can see, it makes it makes a huge difference. We have um, James uh, Humphreys is going to join us as well. James, uh, welcome back. You were with us there a couple of weeks ago talking about red clover. And uh, so, so James, you've been involved uh, heavily in this project from an environmental perspective. Marion was saying, yeah, well, how's involved in setting it up and they're getting the funding and and with the, with, the, with the other partners getting the data collection which was an absolutely huge task over over two years and an awful lot of people involved and one common data set but five different languages and, and these type of problems but um i suppose just going back to the question you you asked marion there about um, the concentrates like it, it all depends on how we assess the carbon footprint and the problem is there there's a number of different metrics we could use and like, I suppose from a marketing point of view, if we're trying to sell a product and we want to know the, the global carbon footprint of that product, that's the metric we've used because it's the most common metric. And that takes into account the land use to change in other countries and the impact that might have on concentrates. If we look at it within a national boundary, which is the, the, the national inventory approach, that we only look at emissions generated within the national boundary, that, that gives a different perspective. I hope I'm making sense now that, say if you're looking yeah. within the national boundary for Portugal, you wouldn't include the uh, concentrates imported from Brazil. And that so is the that methodology that's used by the, the IPCC. Yeah, so there's, there's two different approaches. So, and again, keep it fairly simple for this presentation. We, we just stuck with the, with the one approach. Marion, you also showed a slide there, an interesting figure. I think was it a Swedish farm that was organic? Um, where oh the, yes, that sorry, car- that's an English farm actually. Oh, was it English? Um, yes, um, yeah. where it was an organic farm. Um, the emissions per kilogram of milk was higher. Um, the, what sort of uh, implications does that have uh, for for? this type of a dairy production system, um, given that, okay, look, that there are other environmental benefits arising from organic farming, but is, is that something that we should be looking at more closely? Yeah, so it's, organic farming, generally you have a lower uh, milk output with that. And I guess 
that's why it's really important to look at um, our environmental sustainability from different perspectives. So I've only looked at it here per kilo of milk. And obviously, if you're producing less milk, it's going to drive up your carbon footprint. Um, so if we if we flipped that then and looked at it from a per hectare basis, th that farm would actually be one of the lowest. So, you know, in terms of a per hectare basis, and that's really important as well, because if we're we're considering our land as, you know, we need our land to, to reach our targets. Um, we need it for sequestration and renewable energy technologies. Um, that's also an important, important metric to look at as well. So um, the good thing about LCA is we can, we can take into account all of that. And um, once we get all those other impact categories in there as well, we can, we can get a much fuller picture. We had a question there just in relation to the, the baseline years that were chosen uh, for each of each of the countries. Presumably they're uh, appointed by the national uh, or regional governments, those, those baseline years. Is there a reason for that or is it just a, it's a, a, a national decision for, for, for those countries? Yeah, regions? I guess it's an, a national decision. It also depends on, on the trends of greenhouse gas emissions in each of those countries. So obviously in, in Ireland, we, we had a peak then. So we, we targeted, um, we, we made our targets based on, on that year. Um, and I, I don't think that the, the trends in, in those other regions are as, as steep as uh, what it was in, in, in Ireland. Yeah, because the, the, the reductions are quite different, aren't they? Mm. Uh, compared to, to the Irish looking there, comparing it was 22 to 30 in Ireland, uh, yeah. to 11% in Portugal. Yeah, that, that's quite reflective, really, of, of the, the profiles that I showed in the previous um, slide, where you know we could see the proportion of emissions coming from agriculture and Ireland having the biggest, um, we'd have the biggest target naturally well it's very clear the, the the type of measurement is so important isn't it the how, how we actually uh, present the carbon uh, emissions from from the sector uh, pat some really uh, insightful questions coming through from our audience and just before we go to the questions just i want to say a special welcome to all of our our foreign uh, uh, audience this morning our um, we have visitors uh, from uh, all five uh, countries that are represented in the study. So you're very welcome to, to the signpost webinar this morning. Um, Pat? Yeah, there's a, I suppose one question here that sticks out. Is there more potential for house systems to become more carbon efficient with the development of, of uh, additives like Trinop and uh, methane inhibitor and the, the covering of stores? Uh, I suppose the question is, is it going to be harder for the, the, the grazing-based systems uh, uh, to get those uh, reductions? Okay, so first of all, yeah, with, with the confinement systems or the house systems, it definitely is um, possible. And we've seen that um, with the slide of the different individual farms that confinement systems can be just as low as, as the grazing systems. and. There are um, some really good technologies out there, such as 3NOP, and um, you saw, we saw the difference covering slurry stores makes. Um, and there's also, I know, for measures in, in Portugal and Spain um, and France about um, using anaerobic digestions, which, which can also further reduce their emissions from manure. 
Um, and then the second part then about graze, about the grazing systems. Um, yeah, see, we, we could see from that profile um, what we really need to, to look at. Um, at solar head where we're cutting out nitrogen completely, we can bring down our carbon footprint to 0.7. Um, so, you know, there's, 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 there's clear areas there to, to work on. In both systems, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, so the, 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 there's a number of, of uh, questions there around the, the, the whole issue of, um, I suppose, the, the pressure on farmers and the level of information and level of, of political pressure on farmers uh, to reduce uh, emissions. Uh, in Ireland, I suppose, it's, there's a huge awareness. Is the same level of awareness there in, in, in the other countries that you're dealing with? Yeah, that's, that's a hard question. I think um, I generally find, like, as of, I'm, I'm not from Ireland, but being in Ireland that I think most people are, are in touch with, um, with our farming community um so, so i i know that i i think that irish people generally have a sense of um the challenges facing farmers um and speaking to the uh, the partners and the 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 our work on the social aspects of the study um other partners definitely identified um issues with this um i guess negative image of of farming you know in 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 spain and portugal and the in the uk there's um there's definitely some some issues there with con consumer perception. I think also the, the percentage of emissions from the agricultural sector in Ireland is probably, you know, has, has is, is, is higher than those other countries has probably led to that as well. A, a question, uh, Marion, around in, in all of the different measures you presented for each of the different countries, there was say nitrogen fertilizer uh, was mentioned as a, as a, a measure. Um, are there are there different approaches to that uh, being taken in, in the different countries? For example, I know there's in Ireland there's a, a huge emphasis on uh, the use of protected urea. Uh, is that uh, is that something that's uh, being promoted in other countries? And are there other measures uh, around nitrogen uh, use reduction? Yeah, I, I guess first thing I'd say is. Um... We, I, I definitely noticed like in the data that our Irish farmers were really the only ones using protected urea, not so much uptake in the other regions. The other regions, I think um, in terms of fertilizer use, um, it's about maximizing the nitrogen when they do spread it. Uh, you know, there's, there's more arable land included in these farming systems um, and making more use of their slurry, you know, it's, um, they tend to use more incorporation methods for, for slurry management, um, which, you know, we can, we can make more use of our, our slurry for, for that nitrogen. Thanks, Marion. So there's a question in there around the, the I suppose, the, the, the level of, of mixed enterprises on the farms. Uh, I suppose in, in Ireland, you probably have fairly uh, uh, dairy only enterprises are they generally mixed enterprises is there a lot of tillage involved in the enterprises in the other countries uh, you talked about Portugal where their confinement units which may not have very much land available to them but but be but importing and exporting all of their their feeds 
Yeah, so um, I guess the the aim when we were choosing the, the farms was to choose um, dairy enterprises only. Um, so yeah, we, we, we tried to we tried to stick to the dairy specific enterprises. Um, but yeah, there's there's no doubt that these other regions um, rely on those um, arable farms. There's a, a good few questions coming in in relation to the appropriateness of, of the, 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 the metrics. I don't think anybody's asking questions about the, the appropriateness of the, the uh, per, uh, per output. Uh, but asking questions about should we be considering more uh, our, our um, uh, emissions per hectare and, and using other metrics? What's the mo most, uh, I suppose, balanced way to get a, a balanced view of our, of our emissions? That's, that's a hard one, isn't it? Um, yeah, so like, like James said earlier, there's, there's definitely um, pros, to, pros and cons to expressing the, the carbon footprint um, on a per kilo of milk. But there's, there's also, like, as I said, huge importance on expressing it per hectare. Um, uh, you know, especially when we look at it from a national perspective, we have national targets to meet. Um, how we how we use our land um, is 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 very crucial. Um, so, I guess I don't know. Identifying the best metric, we, I think we have to account for both because you know at the same time we also have to feed a growing population. Yeah, I think that there's a clear international um, consensus that the the starting point is, is per unit of product, per litre of milk. And, and that's really what we presented today. But it is possible to, to um, look at emissions from a number of different perspectives. Yeah, of course, the only thing that has to be borne in mind is that any practice that we implement, and that's really what this project is about, is identifying practices. Generally speaking, if we identify better practices, they're going to lower emissions one way or the other, no matter how we express the units. And um, just going back to an earlier question, um, when we set up this project, we, we specifically selected um, specialized dairy farms. And just to clarify, okay, there's a lot of tillage on some of these dairy farms, uh, but they're tillage for um, like maize, for example, for animal production, for the dairy production. They're not tillage or not cash crops, for example. Like these are specialized dairy farms. There's a question, and you, you mentioned, uh, rather than getting into detail on, on the, the economics, uh, I suppose a question there in relation to uh, whether or not there was a, a, a relationship between the carbon footprint and the profitability of these farms. Are the, the ones that are most carbon efficient generally the most profitable, or, or which, which way does that relationship go? Mm -hmm. um, we, we haven't yet gotten all the data for that, so it's, it's still to be evaluated, but... Maybe if you invite me back, I'll talk about that later. <laughs> okay. Uh, in terms of the uh, imported forages, there's a question there as to how you go about uh, calculating the, the carbon footprint of the imported forages and I suppose of the, the, the imported concentrates as well. Um, so we, we there's, there's databases that we use for um, getting um, emission factors for each of those concentrate ingredients, each of those um, rations, um, and and same for the forages. And 
we we also take into account um, where they're coming from. You know, for example, um, in an Irish farm is not getting the barley the same place as um, a farm in, in Spain, for example. You know, it's just um, different locations. So we, we take into account all of that and we, we rely on, on databases and um, local sources for that. Yeah, there's a, there's just, a, 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 I suppose, a question comment here is it, as it looks like uh, buying in forage has an advantage in terms of lowering the, the footprint, especially if the forage is in the form of maize. Does that stand up? Buying in forage as an advantage in terms of maize, um, I, I wouldn't say so. Like, it's, um, I don't know how that, how that stands up really. Like, yeah, if we, if we look back to our, our emissions profile again, um, you know, our, our mixed or confinement systems were, were the regions, I guess the, the systems buying in a lot of the forage. So, um, and they tended to have higher footprints. Um, uh, there's, there's a fair amount of noise in the data around that, but yeah. it's quite clear, I think, that locally produced, they, if you can produce your feed on farm, pasture-based systems, for example, there's a clear trend in the data that locally produced uh, feed for the livestock on the farm gives the lower emissions. There's a question there, um, uh, Marion, uh, firstly, starting off by saying very clear and interesting presentation. Thank you. Uh, could you explain what you mean by human edible feed conversion and how do you do that? And um, I, I know you mentioned that there was uh, some work being done on that, or maybe are there any indications uh, or early results on that side of things? Um, yes. Yeah, so I guess... Maybe the simplest way to explain it is um, we want to know how much of the feed that's that we're, we're giving to the cows is actually potentially edible from humans, forth for humans. And um, grass, for example, we can't eat grass. Um, so um, the, the human edible proportion of that would be zero. Um, and... I guess we we assess that's how we assess the I guess the the fraction of human edible feed and then we we um, look at that in in relation to the kilo of output so the kilo of milk for example. Um, so you're looking answer? at the concentrates or, or or grain that could potentially go into a human diet. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. That, that would enter the system as such or would come into that calculation. Yeah, so yeah, cereals tend to have higher um, human edible proportions, yeah. Okay, so imagine there is quite a difference then between the different types of the, the indoor systems versus the, the outdoor systems. Uh, why, why, James, is, is that figure so important, that human edible feed conversion, or is, is, is there more emphasis being put on this? Well, so if we look at the question of, of, of land use and what land is used for and what it can be used for. And like in Ireland, we have a long tradition of um, pasture-based systems. And, you know, um, that's all down to the suitability or relatively wet climate. But it's interesting that within the Atlantic area, we don't have exceptionally high rainfall. We've much lower evapotranspiration, much damper climate, wetter soils, and really, a lot of our land, particularly in, in, in the west of Ireland, is, is 
more suited for, for grass production than anything else. And you could say that there's limitations around what it might be used for. Whereas, say, in some regions, for example, that, that land could equally be used for production of human food, food that's used for humans, say, like, say, you could say wheat, for example, which could be used for animal feed or could also be used for, for human consumption. So I guess that's really the, the question. And it, 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 it's, you know, there's a lot of concern about the environmental impact of agriculture, carbon footprint. And I guess there is that land use question as well. How do we use our land? And then there's, there's other questions that come into that, like offsetting, for example. But if, if we need to produce food, we have a growing global population. Um, like if land is best suited for grass production, can't be used for human food production, that, 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 has, to, that has to influence the argument or that debate. Um, that is, it is really is fundamental, isn't it? That that yeah. low, what is the lowest environmental footprint that can be achieved <laughs> with food production? Pat, I have a yeah, question a for you, <laughs> if I may. Um, Pat, there's a question here in relation to uh, a carbon calculator uh, for use in Irish farms. It, it, what sort of work is happening there uh, to 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 try and help Irish farmers to to understand their own carbon footprint? Yeah, there's, I suppose there's a, a, a number of, of, of systems in, in various stages of, of development. We, we would have had the, the Carbon Navigator before, which was more focused on, on practice change. And there's work ongoing, I suppose, by Bordbia in looking at uh, farms that are part of the, the Quality Assurance Scheme and, and coming up with, with uh, uh, calculations of, of the, the carbon footprint there. And those, I suppose, schemes are, are improving in accuracy all the time as we get more and more information uh, and better modeling of, of the relationships between various inputs and, and various outputs and get better information. And then on the other side, in terms of, of planning tools, we're currently working with the signpost farms, looking at uh, practice adoption of a, a whole series of, of, of practices at farm level, assessing the level of adoption and, uh, and, and uh, looking at influencing the uptake of, of the measures that are being identified as having the, the, the most impact. So quite a bit of, of work uh, uh, ongoing and, and hopefully quite a bit of product will be in place over the next couple of years. Great, thanks, thanks, Pat. Because I mean, it is, I know that there is a lot of effort and I'm sure Marion, you have discovered that, you know, trying to actually get a, an act accurate picture of the carbon footprint of a farm and, uh, you know, how far do you go? Where does the, I know life cycle analysis itself is quite a uh, an in-depth process when you're looking back the, the the chain, the supply chain, and so forth. Um, yeah. You know how how realistic is it for every farmer to have a, 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 a an accurate picture of their their carbon footprint, or should we be looking at um, more proxies? And maybe James, you want to come in come in on this one as well. Well, what I'd say about that is for the type of study we're doing, um, we went for very intensive data collection, really intensive, uh, get a very accurate scientifically, um, you know, we can, we can it's, it's scientifically backed up. It's, um, we will we, we'll send it for peer review and it'll be published and, it, you know, it's a very solid figure. And, 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 for the, and that's for the purposes we're using it for, to look at practices and identify practices. And if we want to identify practices, we need to know that they actually deliver what they say they will. So we need a level of accuracy that you might not necessarily need 
if you were, say, a farmer and you wanted to ask a question, um, I want to lower my carbon footprint, what are the practices that I might implement? Now, carbon footprint that you might actually calculate mightn't be as accurate, but still it will identify the practices on your farm that you could implement, if you understand. You might need the same level of resolution that we're using. And it goes back to the other question, earlier question about metrics. Again, if generally speaking, we know what we need to do, we just need to move in the in that direction in terms of uh, lowering our carbon footprint. Yeah, and I, I think there's a comment there that that's, uh, the level of, of data that you're looking at is not really practical on, on all farms. And that's why th this type of research is so important that it actually gives us a, the level of insight that's just not possible to do on an individual farm basis. Uh, there's another question there in relation to the degree to which uh, you took on board the a proportion of the greenhouse gas emissions to go to the meat production, which is there on those farms inevitably as well. Okay, so I guess that's a question of um, allocation and we used yeah. um, biolo biological um, allocation for that. Um, so there's an equation that we use, it's recommended by the International Dairy Federation. Um, where we take into account the kilos of, of meat and milk produced and um, allocate the emissions um, based on that. Okay, there's a there's a, a, a question here, and I, I know you've dealt with it, but it's, I suppose it's, it's just to, to clarify, uh, there's a point being made that it's surprising that the, uh, given the methane emissions uh, is expected to be higher in uh, from our sorry, higher on grazing than than concentrates that you're getting very similar figures for the overall methane proportion of uh, of the uh, greenhouse gas emissions per per kilogram of product. Yeah, yeah, we are. We we don't expect that to change um, too much. Like. Um, we, but we know like things like um, our, how many how many replacements we're keeping on farm will definitely um, affect that. Um, you know our diet, um, our productivity. Then when we're looking at our carbon footprint per kilo of milk, our, our how efficient are our cows will will make a difference to that as well. Um, there's an interesting, well, just a clarification, I guess, um, where you're looking at the carbon foot footprint. Uh, we're looking at carbon uh, equivalents here and uh, uh, presuming you're looking at all of the different uh, gases that are being emitted uh, or carbon emissions from from these farms. Maybe just could you tell us, Marion, about the, 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 the individual aspects of that? Yeah, yeah. So um, I don't want to go into too much, but it's, it's mainly three greenhouse gases that we look at when we're looking at dairy farm emissions. So the first one being methane um, and then um, nitrous oxide as well, which is um, the most um, potent. So it goes nitrous oxide, methane, and then carbon dioxide. And carbon dioxide is um, the gas that we, you know, we, we, we um, use as our, um, our base. Uh, the, we use carbon dioxide equivalents really. Next week, we're going to be speaking about ammonia emissions, but was that aspect looked at during the study? Yes, it was. And um, yeah, I guess um, for the short space of time that we had to talk, um, we didn't go into it too much, but that's definitely um, looked at as well. 
There's a, a question there in relation to clover. Is the only impact of clover on greenhouse gas emissions the reduction in nitrogen, or are there other factors uh, of a, 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 I suppose, a, a high proportion of clover in the in the diet? Um, yeah, so um, clover in the diet, um, I guess um, we're looking at the protein content then and um, more nitrogen going through the animal means more nitrogen um, excreted, um, but we don't expect that to make um, like too much of a difference in terms of our gaseous emissions. But um, yeah, that more nitrogen go goes in, you know, more nitrogen comes out and um, we, we get gases, gaseous emissions from that. So, yeah. James, do you have anything further to add? Yeah, I think it's, it's the manufacture of the fertilizer and also the, the emissions following the application of the fertilizer. You know, nitrous mm -hmm. oxide emissions, as Marion said, it's a very potent greenhouse gas. And even say, if we look in solid, we lose a very small amount of our nitrogen as nitrous oxide. The fact that it's such a high global warming potential, it has a big impact at farm level. I suppose part of that way you might look at that question is how clover might impact on, on, on methane emissions. And um, uh, I guess there's some work being done on that. But um, as things stand, so the approach we're taking is that it's, it's having no positive impact. But, you know, research might might show that, that uh, there's something there as well um, in terms of if there's more clover in the diet, it could impact on that. Methane emissions from the from the enteric fermentation. But I think that's work in progress. Okay, we're we're coming up on time. It's hard to believe we're half ten already. Um, Marion and James, thank you so much for for joining us this week, and congratulations on you know really fantastic uh, piece of research here that will inform the discussions around how we, we, we measure uh, carbon emissions from farms and, uh, and to all the partners involved in the, in the project as well. It's, it's really, a, I'm sure uh, it was a, a, a long process, as you said, to a lot of detailed analysis required, but uh, I think it's, it's fantastic to be able to present those, those, uh, those findings today. So, so well done on that. Um, thank you uh, to Yvonne Maher in the background for helping us today with the technical aspects and Pat, uh, for for assisting with the questions and also to Andy Boland who is our series producer and a reminder that today's session is available uh, uh, will be available shortly on the, the Chagas YouTube channel as well as the uh, uh, podcast platform and our website uh, with the platform um, the presentation itself uh, the we had over 400 participants today so it was uh, obviously a topic of interest and we'll be dealing with more of this uh, this area over the next uh, number of weeks and months. Uh, but next week, we'll be joined by Dr. Dominika Kroll and Dr. David Keelahan uh, from Chagas, who'll be discussing ammonia emissions and impacts and, and also some solutions being offered uh, during that presentation. So do join us next Friday at 9.30 uh, for, for the signpost webinar. Uh, so we will leave it at that. Uh, thanks again, Marion and, and James and Pat. And uh, we will see everyone next week at the same time. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagask.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.